As always, we are so thankful today to have uh, Brother Tim uh, back with us. Uh, even more than just having him, we're so thankful. In the first service, there were two who were saved, and so we're thankful for that. And so we're, amen, amen. And so we're always so thankful for his service to our country. As you can see by the uh, Veterans Day, things we still have up here, but more importantly than that, his service to Christ, that he has been willing to go where the Lord has sent him, when he sends him, and all that God has done through him. And so you make him feel welcome, and we're just so thankful to have him back with us. Thank you, Pastor. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor. And it is an honor and a joy to be back at 10 Mile Baptist Church. It's like coming home and uh, got a little bit of family reunion and friend reunion here today. And uh, so many uh, people that we talked to before the service. And uh, so I don't, I, if I get to talk and tell them about everybody, I'm going to miss somebody. So I'm going to talk about the ones that I know will get mad at me if I don't mention them. And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just joking, of course. But Connie is here. Those of you that don't know my wife, Connie, would you stand and let the folks meet you? A lot of folks don't know who you are. This is Connie. And uh, we've been married now for 50 one years, and um, had three wonderful children, and now we've got seven awesome grandchildren. For years, I said six grandchildren, and now we've got uh, Jack. Jack has just turned our lives upside down. I wish he was here, but they're coming in tomorrow, and uh, so maybe we can meet y'all at Dairy Queen sometime, and you can meet Jack, all right? But my oldest, our oldest daughter, Jana Beth, and uh, her husband, Steve, Sarah Beth, and Emma Nicole, and Brandon are all here this morning. Hold up your hand over here, guys. And, and, um, so, and then Amber and Jonathan will be uh, with Jack. Jack's the most important part of that family. It will be coming in on tomorrow. Now i got so many other family and friends here today, and I appreciate all you. I've met a, a long time a classmate of mine, for everyone, my best friends in high school, Danny Hampton and his wife, Sheila, and their two sons, Brandon and Bryce and Gracie, and uh, so good to see you guys. And Danny was a long-time fox, but now I think he's probably a traitor. He's flipped over to them eagles down there 20 miles away. Sheila had a lot of influence on that, I'm sure, yeah. And... Uh, but anyhow, so many more that I could talk about my uh, brother Rogers here somewhere, and then my in-laws, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law. I tell, I tell a lot of mother-in-law jokes. I tell them when she's here, when she's with me. But I just like good mother-in-law jokes. But she's the best mother-in-law in the world, I promise you. I promise you that. And then uh, so many, Connie's, got, Connie's brother's here in the early service. And I talked about Joseph and how Joseph uh, was sold out by his own brothers. And Connie leaned over and told her brother, while I'm preaching, that's what we should have done to you. <laughs> and, uh, but anyhow, so, so many others. Well, so good to be here. Thank you, Pastor, uh, Pastor Jake. I love this guy. I tell you, when God sent Jacob Gray to be the pastor here at 10 Mile Baptist Church, he sent you one of his choice servants, I'm telling you. And I've always known he was a wonderful pastor. I watched him when my mom was in a hospital in a nursing home. He'd come in and visit her. He's got such a pastoral heart, loves people. I'm an evangelist. I, I preach a revival for three days, and I'm gone. Love them and leave them. That's my motto. And... Uh, and, uh, and uh, I pastored for five years, but I was a horrible pastor. I probably ought to be shot for some things I did in those five years. But in those five years, God was getting me ready to be an evangelist, which I'm now my 45th year of being an evangelist. Somebody said, well, I could never do that. You could do it if God called you to do it. And God called us to, into evangelism January 1st, 1979. And uh I love doing the work of the evangelist, but I appreciate good pastors and uh, pastor. How, how long you been here now, Brother Jake? Twelve years. Wow, that's a long time. Twelve years. 
I actually feel sorry for pastors. When I get through preaching on Sunday morning, I'm hungry. I want to go eat somewhere. I'm looking around to find the pastor to take me to eat, and he's talking to someone about their problems. And there's four or five more lined up to talk to them about their problems. And I'm thinking, hey, why don't we go down to the restaurant? They can tell you their problems while I'm eating, all right? <laughs> so now you know why I wouldn't be a good pastor. I just tell you to suck it up, all right? <laughs> the Lord was walking down the street. There was a guy sitting inside the road. He was crying. And Jesus said, why are you crying? He said, I'm blind. I can't see. And Jesus touched him and healed him. He went away being able to see and rejoicing. Went down the street a little further. There's another guy sitting inside the road. He was crying. And Jesus said, why are you crying? He, he said, I'm lame. I can't walk. And Jesus touched him and healed him. And he went away walking and rejoicing. A little further down the road, there's another guy sitting there crying. He is crying louder than the other two. And Jesus said, why are you crying? He said, I'm a Baptist pastor. And Jesus sat down and wept with him. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. I saw a couple of your people trying to find it. But... <laughs> so take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians. And there's so many friends and family here this morning and appreciate you so much. But I was going to tell you about Pastor. I went and listened to his message from last Sunday morning. I wanted to get the temperature a little bit about what was happening here at 10 Mile from the tragedy that happened a couple of weeks ago. And your pastor, I listened to the entire sermon that he preached last Sunday. What a, it was a masterpiece. It was a great, if you haven't heard it, you would be doing yourself a favor to go back to, uh, I believe it was on Facebook where I found it, go back and listen to what he had to say, and especially from a pastor's heart, a pastor's heart. And so I want to be an encouragement to you today and a, and a blessing as well. Uh, Randy's uh, wife was in the first service this morning, and I got to talk to her and one of their uh, daughters, I believe, from uh, Phoenix and uh, and uh, some of the grandchildren. And uh, so, so this church has been hit hard. And uh, these young men that are going through some serious, serious trials in their life. And I'm going to talk to you this morning about why does, why does bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? In 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, let me begin reading that verse 7, and then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the author of these words, under the, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, before I get into the heart of my message this morning. Verse number 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a throne uh, excuse me, a thorn in the flesh. We're going to talk about that thorn in the flesh in a moment. The, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Verse number nine, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, I'd rather have this thorn of the flesh and have the power of God than not to have the power and to be well. Verse number 10. And therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I becomes, then am I strong. The apostle Paul, his name wasn't always Paul. Matter of fact, when we first find him in Acts chapter 7, his name is Saul. It's not after he gets saved is God not only changed him completely, he gives him a new name, a brand, a brand new name. Other 
that the Lord Jesus, of course, the Apostle Paul was perhaps the greatest Christian that ever lived on earth. If you were to take a poll among the people gathered here this morning and ask them, who do you think was the greatest Christian in the Bible, the majority would no doubt say the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was a great man. And um, he wasn't even raised in a Christian home. He was a Jew. And yet God saves him in a dramatic fashion. He becomes such a great preacher, a great teacher, a a great missionary, a great writer. Such a great writer that he, some believe, wrote 13 books of the New Testament. But if you're right, like I am, we believe he wrote 14 books in the New Testament. I believe he did write the book of Hebrews. I won't argue with you about it, but I believe I'm right. And anyhow, um, Paul was was an unusual man. Uh, We find him early on in the book of Acts, and he is persecuting the church. He is persecuting uh, believers. Stephen, a disciple of Jesus, is being persecuted for what? For telling the truth. And I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If we don't have revival, the Lord doesn't come back soon. We may see persecution in America toward the Christian church like we have never seen before. I'm not an alarmist, but I am a realist. These people were angry at Stephen, and they are going to stone him to death. They're going to put him to death. That's how angry they are. Why are they angry? Because he's telling the truth. He's preaching Jesus. And only um, the only other name that's mentioned in that story is this man named Saul. He's fairly young at this time. And he was born in Tarsus. As I said, he's a Jew and he's very educated. And they're killing uh, Stephen and Saul is in the middle of all of it. In chapter 8 and verse number 1, Saul approved of the stoning. So the uh, first thing we know is Saul is a stone thrower. He's, he's throwing stones. He did not literally pick up a throne and stow it, throw it at Stephen, but he might as well. He's just as guilty as if he had him. In chapter 8 and verse 3, he's wrecking havoc on the church, and he's going, uh, and his crowd is going from house to house. They're not going so winning, and they're not out telling people about Jesus. They're going so, they're going uh, house to house, capturing men and women uh, uh, to imprison them or even to have them killed. But in chapter number 9 in the book of Acts, the story ratchets up a lot. He is threatening and slaughtering and railing against the disciples of Jesus. But the Bible says for the believers, in the middle of all that, there was joy. Did you know that even in the midst of our suffering and our pain and the bad things that we're going through in life, that you can still have joy? Our joy is not dependent upon our feelings. Feelings fluctuate. Feelings come and go. But the fact of the matter is the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if you've been saved, you're a child of the King, and you've got reason to rejoice. You may have just had the worst week of your life. You may have gotten fired. You may not have enough money to pay your bills next week. The doctor may have given you, uh, uh, told you that it's terminal. There may be all kinds of problems in your life, but as a believer, you still have a reason to rejoice. The Bible says rejoice because your name is written down. So in chapter number 9, the story goes full throttle. It's it's drama everywhere. And this time, he's on the road to Damascus. An amazing thing happens. God gets a hold of this man called Saul. And he's blinded on the road to Damascus. He's as helpless as a little baby. I'll never forget hearing the testimony the first time of Lieutenant Colonel Ollie North, and he and I have become very good friends over the years, but the first time that I heard him and talked to him, he told about his story. He was a self-made man. 
everything he ever wanted to do, he was successful at it. And people would talk to him about the Lord, and he would think to himself, I don't need the Lord. Why do I need the Lord? He was highly educated. Everything he did was successful. And then one day at Camp Lejeune, he's standing on the back of a tank, and the tank moved. He didn't know the tank was going to move, and he lost his footing. And he fell off the tank, and he fell on his back. He said at that moment, I was paralyzed. He said, I could not move a muscle in my body. And he said, all I could do was look up. He said, I felt as helpless as a little baby. And he said, at that very moment, I knew that I needed God. And you may think that you've got everything that you need in this life, but friend, if you don't have Jesus, then your life is incomplete. And so God does a work, and God changes Saul to Paul. And, and we think of him as the greatest Christian uh, maybe to ever, ever live. But you know, Paul did not think of himself like that. I'm going to show you real briefly this morning what he thought of himself in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 9. This is approximately A.D. 59. He says of himself that he's the least of all the apostles. Now we think he's the greatest of all the apostles, but he doesn't think that of himself. He says he's the least of the apostles. And, and then five years later, in cha Ephesians chapter 3, in verse number 8, he doesn't only say he's the least of the apostles. Now he says he's the least of all the saints. He said, I'm on the bottom of the totem pole. I'm the least of all the saints. But he doesn't stop there. Uh, uh, a year later, in AD 65, in First Timothy, First uh, Timothy chapter one, and verse number, in verse number 15, he says, Paul says, this great missionary, this great writer, this great teacher, the one that wrote these 14 books of the New Testament, he says that he is the chief of all the sinners. Wow. Boy, isn't it easy to get puffed up and get arrogant? and begin to think highly of yourself. I tell college students all the time, there's nothing wrong with people saying nice things about you and telling you how wonderful you are and how great you are. The problem is when you begin to believe that stuff they're telling you. And then you get big and arrogant and you get puffed up. But Paul wasn't finished. Over, over in the book of Philippians in chapter 3, there's a group of people and they're talking about the great things that they've done in the flesh. And all these wonderful things that they have accomplished. And they're talking about their pedigrees. And, and so Paul finally listens to all that. And he says, listen, guys, if you think you've got reason to believe, uh, 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 to talk and, and, and brag about what you've done in your past, in your flesh, listen to this. And he starts talking about how, how, the, how that he had done all these things and he had accomplished all these things and all this education that, that he had and, and all these uh, powerful people that he knew. And then he comes to the end of it and he said, it's all done. In the King James Bible, he said all of it is counted for done. And some say that that was talking, that, that translation was it was uh it was uh, trash. It was garbage. But actually, the more literal translation is that it was, it was human waste. It was waste. And he said, all that that I did before is nothing but waste. Oh, my friend, this great man did not look at himself. No wonder God could use him. No wonder God could use this apostle Paul because he was a humble, humble man. Why do bad things happen to good people? This world today we're living in, there's so much meanness and so much ugliness and so much horror going on in the world as a little over a month ago as those barbarians of Hamas came into Israel murdering, killing, raping women and children, the horrible atrocities that were done. Some things you can't even read them. It's so horrible. You just cannot believe that, that a man could do something like that. You think maybe animals could do something like that. But then you go back and you remember that there wasn't so many, many years ago in that World War II generation when Hitler was murdering five million Jews, killing five million of them, putting them to death, gassing them. And we think about 
the atrocities and the evil that's happened in this world. 9-11, Pearl Harbor, school shootings, little children, five, six, seven, eight years old being murdered. And the evil and the wickedness that goes on in America and throughout the world. But I want to tell you something this morning, church. I need you to understand that our God is in control. It may not seem like it to you sometimes, but God hasn't left his throne. God hasn't abdicated his throne. God is in control. And the, the Bible declares in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, I am the Lord and there is none other. There is no God beside me. They, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. God hasn't fallen off his throne. God's not sick. God's never had a headache. God's never had to take a half a grain of baby aspirin. God is still God and God is in control. It's all-knowing, this all-seeing, this God that is everywhere. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to have a, God loves you today. God cares about where you're at and what's going on in your life. Why do these bad things happen? It all starts in the book of Genesis. God puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And it is perfect. There's no sin on the earth. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong. And then God gives Adam and Eve a choice. God tells Adam and Eve that this garden is theirs and you can eat of every tree in this garden except for one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You say, Tim, why did God give man the choice? Why didn't God make it where he would never make a bad choice and, and, and then we would all still be in the Garden of Eden? Why did God make man? The primary purpose God made man was to have fellowship with him. And he did have fellowship with Adam and Eve who would come in the cool of the day and they would walk together and they would talk together and it was beautiful. It was awesome. But then one day, man ate of that tree. And if God had not given man a choice, then man would have been nothing more than a machine. Man would have been nothing more than a robot. And you can't have fellowship with a machine. You can't have fellowship with a robot. And man sins against God. And at that moment, man was separated from God. Did you know one of the most beautiful stories of grace in all the Bible is found in the book of Genesis? Did you know that? We think of the Old Testament, the law, but and the New Testament, grace, but Oh, there was lots and lots and lots of grace in the Old Testament. And God says Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve went and hid themselves. They tried to cover their nakedness up. And they went and hid themselves. And then God says to Adam, where art thou? What about if God had never said those words? Where art thou? Hey, it's not as though God didn't know where Adam and Eve was. He knew where they were. But in asking the question, he's giving them an opportunity to respond to him. And today, God is giving you an opportunity to respond to him. The last thing God does in this book, in Revelation, the very last thing that he does is give another invitation. He invites you to come and drink of the water of life freely. An invitation. So, man sinned against God. And ever since Adam and Eve, we've all been sinners. I'm a sinner. Pastor's a sinner. We've all sinned. Every one of us has sinned and come short of God's glory. So maybe the question today should not be why does bad things happen to good people. Maybe it should be why does good things happen to bad people. Maybe that should be the question today. We do have to take responsibility for ourselves and for the things that we bring on ourselves. 
if a man is a smoker for 35 years and he gets lung cancer, he can't blame anyone else, has to take responsibility. Man's been drinking alcohol for years and years and years, and all of a sudden his, his liver is gone. He didn't get to blame anybody else. We take responsibility for ourselves. A man is in prison because of a horrible crime that he did. He has to take responsibility for himself. But let me tell you today that, that there is suffering in this world, but not all suffering is because we sin. Lots of times suffering happens and there's no answer for it. And we don't understand and we don't get it. We're going, we're going, on, a, we're going on a mission trip. And we've got young people that are going on a mission trip and they're going to do good and they're going to do good things. And then something bad happens. And we don't, we don't get it. We, we don't understand. But in the Bible, two of the greatest examples of this thing, same thing happening to them was Joseph and Job. The two J's. Joseph and Job. Oh, horrible things. They, they did. They took his own brothers took Joseph and sold him like a slave. And then for all those years, they thought he was dead. And even after that, some good things happened to Joseph, but then Potiphar's wife ended up getting him thrown into prison for something that he did not do. And there are people that are in prison today. We've seen examples of that because of modern-day technology of knowing uh, DNA and how it works, that there are men that have been proven innocent of crimes that they were convicted of. And sometimes they've spent 20, 30, even 40 more years in jail and prison. And so, so bad things do happen to good people. Joseph and Job, Job's own wife said to Joseph, uh, said to Job, curse God. His own wife told him, curse God and die. What an encouraging woman she was. But Paul, the man, the main character we're talking about this morning, he has something in his life. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. What is this thorn that, that Paul has, this great writer, this great missionary, this great teacher? What is this thorn that he has? It's so bad that he begs God three times to remove it. And God doesn't remove it. God leaves it there. What, what is it? Some, some uh, suggest that he was nearly blind, that he couldn't see very well. I'm not sure that was it. Others said that he had a limp, that he walked uh, with a limp. I don't know. We don't know for sure what it is. But it's serious enough that it's caused him pain and anguish and problems in his life that he's begged God to do away with it. Paul, this thorn in the flesh keeps Paul humble. In verse number seven, we just read it a while ago, and, and it says, he said, all this has happened in the last part, lest I should be exalted above measure lest I should get puffed up, lest I should think more of myself than, than I should. But not only does suffering keep us humble, suffering would also do one or two other things. It will either bring us closer to God or we will run from God. We will turn our back on God. I've seen this happen so many times. The worst thing you can do when a trial comes to your life. By the way, friend, none of us are immune from trials. None of us. And, and bad things happen to everybody. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. He doesn't say if it's going to try you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And what are you going to do? And how are you going to respond? And how are you going to act when this trial comes in your life? And I've seen it happen so many times. People get mad, they get angry, they get bitter. They even shake their fist at God. 
Why did you allow this to happen? Why, why is this going on in my life? Well, friend, the worst thing you can do when a trial comes is to get angry at God. Now, there's nothing wrong with questions. We, we, Jesus questioned. Jesus had a question for God, even on, the, even on the cross. Why hast thou forsaken me? There's nothing wrong with asking questions. It's when you allow those questions to take you down such a dark road. And after a while, you can't see straight. And you become angry and bitter and mad. Many of you know my story. At, at uh, the age of 20 years of, uh, old, I stepped on a landmine in South Vietnam and ripped both my legs off. And I should have been killed instantly. I spent eight long months in a hospital in Philadelphia. We, were, we didn't have private rooms. We didn't have semi-private rooms. We had a ward. It was like a it was like a long, wide hallway. Best describes it. And on on one side of the wall, there's all kinds of beds lined up. And there's not very much space in between the beds. There's no privacy. There's a thin cotton curtain that comes on a rail between the beds on either side of you, so you hear and almost see the dressing changes and and the pain and the suffering and the hurt. In those eight months, I never saw so much bitterness and so much anger. In all my life, if you were on Ward 1A in Philadelphia Naval Hospital, you, two things about you for sure. Number one, you were a Marine. And number two, you were an amputee from the Vietnam War. One leg, two legs like myself, two legs and an arm. And again, so much bitterness and anger. Men mad at God, men mad at their government, men mad at their families, so angry and so upset. I didn't want to get bitter. I didn't want to get angry. When you get mad, I was fortunate to be alive. I was glad that God had spared my life and let me live. But my friend, it'll either bring you closer to God or else you'll turn your back. Let me tell you something this morning, Christian friend. This is why you need a church home. This is why you need a family. The trials are going to come. And oh, how this church has loved these families and poured into these families and helped these families. And you need a good church home. I've, I've now decided I didn't have a discussion with my wife about it, but I think she would go along with me that if we lived back here in Southern Illinois, this would be where we'd go to church. This would be, our, this would be my pastor right here. And there's other great men of God in this area, but I, I know that he would love my family and he would care for my family and encourage my family. And so would this church. And oh my, so, so that suffering will either draw you closer or you'll turn your back on God. God did not remove the thorn from, from Paul. He pleaded with him, but God told him, said, look, my grace is sufficient. He's always there. And even in suffering, when you go through your pain, your family may turn their back upon you. Your friends may turn their back upon you, but God will never turn his back on you. He's there in the good times. He's there in the bad times. He's there in the daytime. He's there in the nighttime. He's on the mountaintop. He's in the valley. God will always be there for you. You can trust him. You can trust him. He never leaves us. If you're not as near to the Lord today as there has has been other times in your life when you were near, when you were closer to God? Let me ask you a question. Who moved? God didn't move. God didn't go away from you. And God says if we draw near to him, that he will draw near unto us. So then, is there any profit to bad things happening in our life? Can any good come from it? Yes, God will then allow us to use our suffering to help other people. You imagine, I have no idea of, of knowing how many, but do you, do you imagine how many Vietnam veterans that I've talked to since, since God called me to preach? I'm, I'm, I'm talking about masses of big crowds, but I'm also talking about individually, personally. Men that were hurting and in pain and post-traumatic stress and all kinds of nightmares and troubles. Horrible things. And, and so when, when, you, when you do have this 
when these tests come to your life and these trials come to your life, and if you do draw closer to God, God is eventually going to let you take that test and let it become a testimony. You're going to be able to help others. You're going to be able to encourage others. You're going to be able to bless others because you've, you've been one of the most misused statements, Pastor, in our English, English vocabulary is, I know what you're going through. When most of the time, we don't know what people are going through. We don't have a clue. Sometimes all of us are probably guilty. We just want to fix people's problems when the truth of the matter, most of the time, we just need to listen. And we just need to pray. And we just need to be there. And I know this is a, a painful to, for my family to hear this. And, and, and Jan and Steve are here today, but and they knew pretty well that I would talk about this, but on January the 7th, 2017, the greatest tragedy of our lives happened. And um, our granddaughter, Allie, in an ATV accident with her sister, Sarah Beth, and Emma Nicole was with me. We were flying into Jacksonville and going to Paris Island to speak to thousands of Marines on Sunday. And when we landed in Jacksonville, we turned our phones on and, and the phones lit up. And, and then we soon found the news, the horrible, horrible news, that our granddaughter, Sarah Beth, had been seriously injured and, and Allie, our middle granddaughter, had been taken to heaven in an instant, in a moment's time. And I thought about this here a while back, and I thought about the playboy magnet and the pervert Hugh Hefner lived to be 89 years old, wickedness and perversion, evil. And yet, our granddaughter, 16, she loves Jesus. That girl loved the Lord. She, she brightened up a room. I'm telling you, her laughter, I, I, I just want, sometimes just would just love to hear her laugh. I didn't even know what she was laughing about, but I'd start laughing because her laughter brought me such joy. We don't understand. And I still don't understand. But I, I know this. We have to trust God. We have to lean on God. A lot of things we don't get in this life and we don't understand. But I watched on the homegoing service that day and I looked down and I saw my daughter with her hands raised in there. I think they were singing it as well with my soul and Jan and Steve both were worshiping the Lord and I knew in my heart of hearts I knew there'd be rough days. I knew there'd be hard times and there has been. And I I wish uh, I could explain this better but Jan and Beth and Steve both have written some of the most remarkable writings. I didn't know either one of them could write like this. But it's God. God is has let them write things that have helped thousands and thousands and thousands of people. can't help everyone, but we help a lot of people. When God gives you a testimony and there's something that happens in your life, you got to understand Romans 8, 28. And I know sometimes we kind of use that verse tritely, but it's not trite. It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. For we know all things, all, A-double-L, all things work together for good to them that love God and to those that are called according to his purpose. And so today, when a trial comes in your life and trials have come for many of you recently, that God would take and you would allow God to work in your heart and work in your life. One of Randy's daughters told me afterwards with tears that God spoke to her this morning that she does want she wants God to use her. Well, that's the right attitude. With that spirit, with that attitude, God's going to use her. But it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's nothing easy about it. But we have to trust God. We have to lean on the Lord. And, and, and then Sarah Beth, our, our youngest granddaughter, and now she wants to be a counselor. She wants to help other people going through traumas in her life. And, and, and to be a blessing and an encouragement to others. That's the way it works, folks. When you, get a, when you do have a trial and you pass the test, then you get to have a testimony. You get to have a testimony. And God uses you for his glory and for his honor.
Paul ends up being used so mightily of God, so great of the Lord. He rides donkeys. He's broken down boats. He's, a, he's walking maybe with a limp. We don't know, but God uses him to turn the world upside down for Jesus because he would be surrendered. He would be used of God. So the last thing this morning is that the greatest example of bad things happening to good people would be Jesus. When Jesus comes to this earth 2,000 years ago, he came for the purpose. He came for the purpose of going to an old rugged cross to hang on that cross. Why? He came to die for us. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He said that. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. So ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus came for that reason and he leaves us behind after he saves us, he's got us here for the same reason, the same purpose. There's a world after today that is lost. Every one of your neighbors and friends and, and loved ones and classmates, every one of them has a soul and they're all going to spend eternity somewhere. Jesus comes, he's born of a virgin. They, they, they kill him. They murder him. They, they say, I don't understand all this hatred and anger toward the Jews. I don't get it. I really don't understand. And, and they say, well, they killed Jesus. I got news for you. You killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. We all, our sins is what nailed him to that cross. That's why he died. There's such anger today. Hatred. Oh my. When the fact is that God loves us. And he wants us to have a personal relationship with him. He wants us to spend eternity. You talk about bad things happening to good people. The, the very things that they did to Jesus was horrible. But he knew when he left heaven. But that was why he was coming to this earth. And he died for you. And he died for me. He paid the price for my sins. There's only one way you can have a right, a right relationship with God. And that's through Jesus. It's not through joining a church. It's not through getting baptized. It's not through being a good a moral person. It's the fact that Jesus paid the price for your sins on the cross and yet you are accepting that gift of salvation. You're saying yes. And, the, and God says to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. The very moment that you by faith say yes to Jesus, the very moment that you trust him as your personal savior, you become God's child forever. Hey, wouldn't you like to know that when you die, you would spend eternity with God forever in this awesome, beautiful, great place called heaven? You can know it today. You can leave here today with your sins forgiven on your way to heaven. I tell people all the time that you don't have to go to heaven and you don't have to go to hell, but you can't stay here you're going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. And it all depends upon what you do with Jesus. Today could be the greatest day of your whole life. Would you bow your heads this morning? I'm going to ask that no one leave unless it's an emergency. The most important part of this service is about to begin. So I'd ask that you not disturb anyone around you. No one's going to intimidate anyone or embarrass anyone in any form or fashion. I'm going to ask you something. And again, just me and God looking, no one else. No one's, I won't come and talk to you after the service about it unless you want to come and talk to me. How's that? But just be honest right now. How many would say today, Tim, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I remember the day when I realized that I was a sinner and I knew I couldn't save myself. And I turned to Jesus and he came into my life and made me whole. And I know, Tim, if I were to die right now, I'd go to heaven. I'm saved. 
and I'm not the least bit ashamed of it. No one looking. Let me see your hand as a way of testimony today. Wow, wow, wow. You can take them down. Hands raised everywhere. What a beautiful sight. Christian friend, don't ever be ashamed or embarrassed for a preacher to ask you that question and for you to give testimony. There were some who could not raise your hands and I want to tell you right now, I appreciate you. I appreciate you being honest because you could have raised your hand when others did. I would not have known the difference, but you would have and God would have. And in just a minute, I want you to let me pray for you. But before I do that, let me talk to those that raised your hands. How many, two questions to those that just raised your hand. How many would say, Tim, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian. But I also know there's some things in my own life that are not right with God. There are some things in my own life the Lord is not pleased with. Tim, I don't want to run from God. I don't want to be out of the will of God. I don't want to rebel against God. Pray for me so that I can have these things right between me and God. Let me see your hands today. Hold them up high. Hands raised all over the building. Scores and scores of hands. You can take them down. So I'm going to give the invitation today that I give somewhere across America nearly every Sunday of the year. Last Sunday in Texarkana, maybe 2,000 people. Sunday before, Warner Robins, Georgia, maybe a little over 2,000. Sunday before in Houston, maybe 900 people. In a moment, we're going to sing one verse of invitation. We may sing two, but that will be all. And I'm going to ask all of you that just now raised your hand, if you were serious and you were not playing church, when we sing, when I have you stand up and we sing, I'm going to ask all of you to raise your hand to leave your seat. I'm going to ask you to go to the nearest aisle. And then I'm going to ask you to come and stand right here in front of me, facing me. We're going to pray together today, and God is going to do something in your life. If you're afraid to come to yourself, ask someone to come with you. They'll do it. If someone's in your way, nudge them. They'll move over. Remember, there'll only be one verse, maybe two, from the balcony and the back. It'll take a little longer. But you come today, you'll never regret it. You'll never be sorry. And part two of that question to those that raised their hands, how many would say, Tim, I'm going through a trial. I'm hurting today. I'm in pain. Maybe it's physical pain. Maybe it's emotional pain. Tim, I don't want to pull away from God. I I need God's help. And I, I can't handle this by myself. And I need people praying for me and encouraging me. Pray for me, Tim. I'm in the middle of a trial and I'm hurting today. Pray for me. Let me see your hands today. Hold them up high. Numbers and numbers of hands. Adults, you can take them down. So folks, it would be kind of a symbol, but it's also reality. I'm going to ask you to come and stand here too because I believe God would do something in your life here this morning. Remember, no one's going to embarrass you at all. But I believe it would be good when we sing in a moment for all of you to come and let us pray together today. You don't have to tell me what you're going through. I'll be around afterwards if you do want to tell me. But I I just want you to come today. Stand here and say, I want God's help. Now right before I have a stand, right before we say, the most important question, where will you spend eternity? Friend, you may live to be a hundred. And then again, you may not live to see the sun go down today. You have no assurance. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is accepted time. Will you let me pray for you this morning? There's nobody looking but me and God. No one on the platform, no one in the sound booth, just me and God. How many would say, Tim, the truth of the matter is, I'm not 100% for sure. If I were to die right now, that I would go to heaven. 
And I certainly don't want to go to hell. And I want you please to include me in that prayer. No one else, Tim, include me in that prayer. Let me see your hands. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Make sure I see that and you can take them right back down. Dad, mom, teenager, young person, boy, girl, anyone else, anyone else, just put your hand up. Take it right back down. Tim, I'm not for sure if I died that I would go to heaven. Pray for me. One more. This could be the greatest day of your whole life. There's going to be others coming. Christians, I'm asking you to set the example. I'm asking you to be the first to come. Don't worry about what someone's going to say or think. It doesn't matter. What matters is what God says and what God thinks. So you do today what God wants you to do, and you'll never regret it. Would you stand to your feet, everyone that's able to stand? Would you stand? And my buddy begins to sing. Come on right now. Come quickly. No hesitation. Come right now. Just come and stand right here. Come on, Dad. Come on, Mom. Just come and stand facing me right here. Come as close into the middle as you can right here. Take someone by the hand and say, will you go with me? Will you go with me? They'll do it. In a heartbeat, they'll do it. One more verse, and this is all we're singing. Do what God wants you to do today. Do what God wants you to do. That's it, young lady. are bad and Christians are praying there's nothing more important going on in the state of Illinois right now than what's happening right here I promise you and if it was your friend or your family member or your neighbor or someone that was about God was about to do something in their life you would think it was the most important thing too there's two vital parts to this invitation and we're going to deal with the absolute most important part first. If you have never been saved, your life has never been changed by the power of God. Again, I'm not talking about being a Baptist, a Methodist, a Lutheran, a Presbyterian, a Church of Christ, or Assembly of God, or a Catholic, or a Mormon, or any other denomination, or any other religion. I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Today you can leave here with that relationship. Tim, I'm about 90% for sure I'm a Christian. I wouldn't hurt you for anything. You've got to believe that. But friend, if you're 90% for sure you're saved, you're 100% lost. There's no way you could ever chance 10% that you would be separated from God forever. So this is your day. This is your moment. This is your time. I'm going to pray out loud what we oftentimes refer to as a sinner's prayer. And today, if you're serious as you know how to be and you want to be saved when I pray this prayer out loud, I want you to pray it in your heart. Understand that repeating religious words won't save you. It's not saying religious words that you're coming to this place in your life to confess that you're a sinner Knowing you cannot save yourself, you're turning to Jesus, the one who died for you and the one who arose from the grave for you, Jesus Christ. You're not praying to Tim Lee. You're not praying to Pastor Jacob Gray. You're not praying to any other man in this room or on this earth. You're praying to the Lord. So I'm going to pray now. And whether you're here at the front or there in your seat, this is your day to get us settled. Then you pray with me today. You pray in your heart, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. 
And I know my sins can separate me from you forever. But today, I want to be saved. God, please forgive me of all my sin. Wash me as white as snow. Make me your child. Right now, this very moment, I am trusting Jesus Christ and Him alone as my Lord and my Savior. Take me to heaven when I die, for I am now your child. Our heads are still bowed. No one's looking but myself, the pastor and the Lord. If you just now prayed that prayer in your heart, Tim, when you prayed that prayer out loud, I prayed it in my heart, and I meant it with my whole heart as, as serious as I knew how to be. No one else looking. Tim, I pray with you today. Let me see your hand. Hold it up for just a moment. Make sure that I see them. There's one, there's two, there's three. Hold them up for just one more moment. There's four. Wow. You can take them down. Two adults and two teenagers. Church, if you're rejoicing in these four saying yes to Jesus today, would you give them a big hand and tell them you're happy for them today? Wow. And now, just bow your heads back for a moment. Just continue to play. I don't want to lose the spirit of this moment. Those of you that pray with me, no one else. Those of you that pray with me, just look right up here for a moment. Just have her continue to play on the piano if she would. Those four of you that pray with me, nobody else, just look right up here. That's it. That's the most important prayer you'll ever pray in your entire life. You got to hear what I'm about to tell you, sir, young ladies. At exactly 11.40 a.m., I want you to remember that. At exactly 11.40, on November the 19th, 2023, you said yes to Jesus. What did you say yes to? To the cross, to the blood that Jesus shed, to the death that he died, and to an empty grave. The very moment that you said yes, you became God's child forever. Every sin that you've ever committed is gone. God doesn't just forgive us our sins, he forgets our sins they're washed away by the blood of the Lamb, never ever to be remembered against you. That's why the Christian life is called a new life. Right now you have a brand spanking new life in Jesus Christ. You say, Tim, you said a while ago that I should be serious. How do I know that I was as serious as I should be? How do I know I'm going to tell you a foolproof way? My friend, He's in heaven now, but Adrian Rogers used to say it like this, you won't be ashamed. And the fact that you raised your hand, the fact that you're still looking at me right now says you're not ashamed. And here's what I want you to do. In a moment when you go back to your seat, I want all four of you to find a piece of paper. There's a deal, tear-off deal in your church bulletin this morning. You can use that or any other paper. It doesn't matter. Write your name, your address, your phone number, and email. And then I want you to write one word about two or three times larger than your name. I want you to write the word saved. S-A-V-E-D. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When I'm through, I'll make a brief announcement in a little bit and go back to the back of the main entry area. I want all four of you to bring that piece of paper to me. I want to shake your hand. I want to hug your neck. I want to rejoice with you. You can bow your heads back down. There was a ton of people today who said, I know I'm saved, but I also know there's some things in my life that God's not pleased with. God made you and I a promise. He said if we would confess our sin, that he was faithful and just to forgive us our sins, we confess God forgives. Isn't that a great deal? Aren't you glad God's a God of a second chance and sometimes a third and sometimes even more? So in the moment we're going to pray, I'll pray out loud. You pray in your heart. Just tell God, Lord, I blew it. I messed up. I, I sinned. Lord, I, 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 want, I want you to forgive me. I want to live a victorious life. I want to make my life count for Jesus from this day forward. And then at the same time, there was another bunch of people who raised your hand to say, I'm hurting. I'm going through a trial. 
I'm in pain. And today, I want you to lean on the Lord today. I want you to lean close into God. I want you just to tell God something like this, Lord, I, I don't want to get bitter. I don't want to get mad. I want you to use me, Lord. I want to have a testimony for you. I want my life to count for you from this day forward. Father, thank you for speaking to hearts. Thank you for these four who said yes to Jesus. Their lives will never, ever be the same. This is the greatest day of their life. And then, Lord, for these many, many people that came to stand here today to say, I just want to get some things right with God. And, Lord, I'm hurting. I'm in pain. And I, I, I need your help. Lord, let, let me lean on you today. And I pray, God, that you would restore joy, that you would give back victory, that you would even start a spirit of revival fire burning in their heart and in their life. Lord, may this be a watermark day in their life. They look back and say, God did something in my heart, in my life that day that I've never gotten over. So, Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done. And I want to thank you for the victories that's been won. In Jesus' name I pray.